Good morning. It's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker to you today. Chaplain Jim Carter is a native of Monroeville, Alabama. He's married to his wife, Terry, and they have two grown children, Sarah and David. You can learn uh, more about his uh, successful career in the Cornerstone Connection at your leisure. But for this morning, I'd like to just give you a, a brief uh, background. After graduating from Reformed Theological Seminary and receiving his ordination as a PCA minister, Jim entered the Army Chaplain Corps in 1988. Chaplain Carter holds a Master of Divinities and a Master of Arts in Marriage and Family Therapy and Reformed Theological Seminary from Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. He also holds a Doctor of Ministry from Erskine Theological Seminary, due west South Carolina. Chaplain Colonel Carter's career as a military chaplain, chaplain spans 23 years. After retiring, he planted New Presbyterian Church in South Florida and served there for six years before accepting his call as an executive director to Mission to North America. Please welcome Chaplain Carter. Thank you, Bruce. It truly is an honor to be here at Cornerstone this morning and uh, appreciated Walt's invitation and just the joy of being here with you. Again, my name is Jim Carter, not Jimmy Carter. So it's uh, certainly a privilege to be able to proclaim God's word. Before we start, um, oftentimes people ask exactly what do you do as the coordinator for Mission North America Chaplain Ministries? And uh, what, what exactly is that role? And basically, uh, you can sum it up real quickly in three or four things. Uh, I serve, in a sense, as a minister to the ministers, a minister to all of our chaplains uh, serving in the PCA, as well as six other Reformed Presbyterian conservative denominations, such as the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, the Korean American Presbyterian Church, and a number of others. And I minister to the chaplains. It's not just the military. It's also the Bureau of Prisons. It's the VA, the Veterans Administration chaplains. It's uh, corporate chaplains. Now in the PCA, we have one or two guys that are becoming corporate chaplains working in businesses. Also, we have sports chaplains. And so I oversee that ministry, and I recruit them. I minister to them, so I catch them in a sense, I recruit them, actually it recruits itself, God calls them to that ministry, but my phone is constantly ringing with, hey, I really want to talk about the ministry here. Oftentimes, local PCA pastors are wanting to learn how to better connect with the fire department or the police department in town in a volunteer basis as an outreach ministry. Many of them are wanting to be part-time in the National Guard or Reserves or the Navy Reserves or the Air Force. So I do a lot of uh, coordination and catching, if you will, or recruiting. The second thing I do is a lot of um, credentialing. Uh, for these chaplains to work for the Department of Defense, they have to be credentialed. Presbytery credentials them, and then I validate their credentialing as I send them out into uh, the Navy or the Army or the Air Force, and, they, and I work there as their minister or their point of contact. So there's some credentialing that goes on. The third thing I do is to cover them. 
And to cover them means that I make sure that their religious liberty and freedom is not restricted. I make sure that they are called to go forth and proclaim Christ and him crucified without being muzzled. And I'll give you an example. Uh, this happens not a lot, but it happens more than you think. Uh, and last week, I got a call from an Air Force base, one of my Air Force chaplains, brand new, been on active duty about six months. His supervisor said, um, saw him out on the flight line ministering to an airman. He was praying with him and reading scripture. And the supervisor came by and said, hey, 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 put that Bible away. It might offend the people on the flight line. So this chaplain, brand new to the system, remember your Daniel working sometimes in Darius's court. Amen? You're having to navigate unique situations. And so he calls me protective cover, and I go to this chaplain. I say, you mean he told you to put that government-issue Bible that you had in your hand that the government purchased for you? Because we have religious freedom and the ability to proclaim Christ and live out your ordination vows. He told you to put that Bible away. And he laughed and he said, Jim, he did. So I hopped on a plane. I flew down there. I met with the supervisor, the commander of the base, blah, 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 blah. And I came with the full force of seven reformed conservative denominations of which the PCA leads the way. And they apologized. And then I wanted to make sure that there was no repercussions on this young, outstanding, Christ-centered chaplain. And there hasn't been. So that's the cover piece. And then there's the compassionate of pastoral care. Because, beloved, we are 18 years in war. 18 years we've been at war. And it's not going away. You know that probably better than any most communities because of your proximity to Pax River and, and what goes on there and the mission that we're called to do. And so as a result of that, we have many of our chaplains and their families who are exhausted and we provide a ministry of compassion. Last week, we held a retreat for them right before General Assembly in which we were honored to have Richard Pratt, Nancy Guthrie, Dr. Greg Miller from Men of Valor, Michael O'Brien, a PCA uh, artist who's a gifted, uh, they volunteered their time to come and minister for three days to over 150 of our chaplains, just to renew their spirit. And so we need your prayers. And that's what I love about this church, what I love about Walt. You get it, you understand it, you live it, and you want to see Christ glorified not only in the military, but in the civilian hospital chaplain work, in the VA, and corporate chaplain. It is a growing number. We have over 300 right now, and it is, uh, it is it's surging. And so praise God for your prayers. Amen? Amen. Okay, enough of that. Now let's get into the word here and to look at Joshua chapter 1. And we're going to also look a little bit this morning at... Uh, in Luke, okay, I see the clock back there. I got it. That's good to see. I just looked up. I was looking all around, uh, trying to be sensitive, and I got it. All right. Joshua 1. Listen to God's holy and authoritative word. 
I'll begin here a little bit in verse uh, chapter 1 of Joshua, beginning in verse 1, actually. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert and from Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, and to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And then I would also like to take a moment, if you would, and turn with me to uh, the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. This is following the resurrection, and it's the ascension, and Jesus now is appearing to his disciples, and I'd like just to take a moment and uh, read a passage of this scripture to you as well. Chapter 24, beginning in verse 40, actually beginning in verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and afraid, thinking they saw a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you so troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about in the law and the prophets. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his holy word. Please bow with me for just a moment. Almighty and gracious God, we come before your presence now and ask that your Holy Spirit would draw near to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would calm our hearts cleanse our minds, convict our hearts where there needs to be conviction, and call us unto you in a deeper way this day. Fall afresh, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. 
This is probably a very familiar passage to many of you in Joshua chapter 1. You've probably heard it preached before, but just to set the stage quickly for you, uh, Moses has died. And as you know, Joshua the second in command is now taking over the reins of leadership, and it is a very, a very anxious time, I imagine, in, um, in Joshua's life. I don't want to psychoanalyze it too much, but I think it's easy to say that here Joshua is realizing what is in front of him, the pressure of leading the nation of Israel now into the promised land, the fact of the enemy that's over there. You remember Joshua and Caleb had been over there, they've seen it. Remember they were the only two spies that came back and said, we can do this. All the other spies that went over on the reconnaissance mission years before came back and said, it's too much, we could never overcome. But Joshua had his faith and trust and the power and the presence of Almighty God. And so Joshua, though, is now in a different position. You know, Moses has passed away. You see here in the first few verses, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of, son of Nun, Moses is saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. And God knows that Joshua is filled with some anxiety. He knows that he's somewhat afraid because of the mission in front of him. And he knows that Joshua is concerned about the future. How about you this morning? Are there things in your life that you're concerned about as far as the future goes? Uh, oftentimes, we want to know what the future holds, but in reality, uh, we don't. We have to learn to trust Almighty God. And so here we come to this passage, and Joshua is concerned about what does the future hold, and how is God going to provide comfort and peace that passes understanding to his heart. And so there's a number of things we could talk about this morning, but I want to tie this text also in with Luke's text, and I want to summarize three basic points here. First of all, you see here that God keeps his promise. What is God saying here? He says in verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert and from Lebanon to the great river, the Euphrates. So the first thing we want to see here is that God keeps his promises. God is a powerful God who had given a promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12. He had given a promise to Moses, and now he's given the same promise to Joshua. And the promise is, I am your God, I love you, I'm not going to forsake you, I'm going to be with you, and that I am a promise-keeping God. And I think that's very important that we realize this, and, and we see God at work, both not only by trusting him in the future, but we can see that he's kept his promises by looking back in the past. If you, if you were to come to my house, you would see in my home a, a bowl. And in this bowl are rocks. And you would think, well, man, the Carters are not the greatest decorators in the world. But no, it's really a beautiful bowl with rocks in it. And in those rocks, I mean, in that bowl, those rocks are numbered. And those numbers mean something. 
There's probably about 30 of them in there. And what we have done, Terry and I, have numbered those rocks, and we've kept a journal over the 36 years of our marriage so that in difficult times, we can glance at that bowl and see that God is faithful to his people. And I'll just give an example. One of the rocks, of course, the first one is our marriage, right? And the faithfulness of God there. But rock number two and three have some powerful symbolism. Rock number two is the Carters at Seminary, all of, of 23 years old at Reformed Theological Seminary, both from families without much means, and we are dirt poor. And we are like... I don't know how we're going to do this, but God has called us to do this. And today, I would be having a nervous breakdown if my son was doing this. And so would you, probably. But we just were going to do it. We were going to go through seminary, working minimum wage jobs part-time, and finally it hit a point about six months into the journey where I looked at the checking account, and there was $3.95 in it. And I looked at Terry, and I said, sweetheart, we are really poor. And she said, Jim, we really are. And you know, as a husband, you want to love and honor and provide and cherish, and you just want to be the knight in shining armor for your sweetheart. And I was sitting there, and I'm like, sweetheart, we have, I have really failed here. And I said, we need to pack up and go home and work for a while and save some money and come back. We need to go live with some, with either your parents or my parents. So we're actually having the conversation about this. And we got on our knees and we just prayed, Lord, please do something to provide for us. Because we've done all that we know how to do. But the next morning we woke up and we said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and I'm going to go to the seminary. I'm going to let them know that we're going to be leaving and and, and, you know, pulling out, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll go to the mailbox, open the mailbox, you know, pull out a few things, and there is a, a unique letter there. It's a weird letter. I see it from some lady we don't know. I open it up. There's a check in there for $500. This is in 1983. Now, that, our rent was only $100. So I was blown away. I didn't know this lady, Terry didn't know this lady. We called her father. He, he said, yes, she was in a church that he served 30 years ago back in North Carolina. She heard that we were in seminary, and to this day, we don't know how she got our address, but God does. And so my point is, God keeps his promises to his people. He said, Jim, I want you to go into the ministry and to seminary. I'm going to provide for you. My point here is Joshua is being reminded that we serve a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And he comes to him and he says that I promised Moses. Verse 3. In other words, and I'm promising you, Joshua. I'm promising you. I read the passage over in, in Luke for a reason, because the disciples, after the resurrection, I mean, 
here's Jesus. He's, he's died on the cross for our sins. The, the disciples have scattered. They're filled with anxiety and fear. Peter's already denied him. There's in the upper room. I mean, they're scared to death. They're hiding out. And all of a sudden, Jesus, after the resurrection, appears to them, and, and they are startled. And there's some things here that Jesus does. He does the same things here in... Um, he does the same things here to Joshua, but he does it to the disciples. The first thing he does is he turns their panic into peace. What does he say? Peace be with you. In other words, disciples, focus. Focus on me. Let my peace fill your heart. Surrender over to me. And trust in me. He turns their panic into peace he turns their confusion into clarity how does he do that he does it by telling them the word of God the scripture says he opened their minds to the word now look with me in Joshua chapter 1 for example and you see the same thing God tells Joshua he says be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the what? The law. In other words, be careful to obey the law, to meditate on it day and night, and you will be what? Successful. The same thing Jesus in the New Testament is telling the disciples. I'm opening their mind to the word of God. The word, God's holy and authoritative word, truly is our map. I remember uh, 1991, I returned from a deployment to the Gulf region there in the Gulf War and received orders to move to Germany. And we PCS, we moved to Germany. I'd never been to Europe, never been to Germany. And so I remember getting off the plane there in Germany and my commander meeting me, which was a little odd. Usually you have an office call with him on the base, but he actually met me there, and we rode back together, and he said, Jim, I have some units over in Holland that are having a lot of issues, and I want you, as soon as we get back to the base, to change, and I want you to go over there. <laughs> Holy cow, man, I'm jet-lagged, you know, I'm uh, exhausted, you know, hadn't probably slept in a day or two just because you're so excited about moving, and, and I, but what do you do? You go, yes, sir. And I said, sir, absolutely. I said, sir, I don't really have a European driver's license yet or anything. He said, don't worry about it. He goes, you got a chaplain assistant right here and a brand-new Volkswagen Golf. He'll take you. So I said, sir, that's great. So I got to the base, changed out, got everything ready, jumped in the car with my assistant, met him for the first time. We took off driving. And I looked at him. I said, so is it very far, Spessus? Uh, and he goes, no, sir, it's only about a 45-minute drive. We're in the northern part of Germany on the border. He goes, he goes it's about a 45-minute drive over to, the, to this unit in Holland. It's right across the border. I said, great. So I fell asleep. I woke up, looked at him. I said, we're doing okay? He goes, we're doing great. So I fell asleep again. I looked at my, woke up again, and I looked at my watch, and it was about an hour and 10 minutes. I said, everything okay? He goes, sir, it's going great. I said, great. So I fell asleep. I woke up probably a good 40 minutes later. We'd been on the road over two hours. I looked at him and I said, 
Nate, are we lost? And he goes, totally. <laughs> he goes, we're totally lost. You know, this is before GPS systems and all this good stuff. And, and I said, well, you have a map? He goes, no, sir, I don't have a map. And I said, this is horrible. So everything you're supposed to, you're called to do as a leader, I would failed. You know, no map recon, no, no pre-briefing before you take off. I did everything wrong. So we pulled over some ESO station, found a map. You know, we're a good hour south of where we need to be, and we weaved our way up there. <laughs> we were completely lost without a map. That's where we are today if we're not in God's word. That is our map. That is our food. And God knew that. And he's reminding Joshua. Joshua, not only do I keep my promises for you, but my presence is going to be with you if you meditate on my word and in my word and you feed your soul and you hide it in your heart. The same thing Jesus was telling his disciples all this confusion that you're going through can turn to clarity if you will just allow yourself to meditate on my word. You will then be strong and courageous. You will then not be filled with fear for the future. You will then not worry so much about that prodigal son or daughter who might be driving you crazy. You will not be consumed with anxiety about what the doctors told you about your diagnosis. Because you will know his presence is with you. You will know that he will never leave you or forsake you. Wherever you go, his presence is with you. But we don't know. Do we really know that? I mean, do we really live that way? I mean, we might live that way in here, and then we're going to get in our car, and we're going to drive about 100 yards, and it's going to hit us again. And we're going to go, ah. You're going to be calling, stressed out about work, or your kid, or your, or your, you know, your aging parent. You know, the list is long. But I'm telling you, if we, if we remember those promises and we live in that presence, we'll know the person deeper. Dr. Richard Pratt tells a great story. He's a man that's had a major impact in my life, along with a guy named Ralph Davis, Old Testament guys. And Richard Pratt tells a story about when he and his daughter were, were at the swimming pool. His daughter was about seven, and they were having kind of a father-daughter time at the pool, and it was going well. And they, they noticed, though, that this other father and her daughter over there, about eight or nine, was, she was talking to him, and she wanted to go off the high dive. And all these 13 and 14 and 15-year-olds were over there going off the high dive. And she wanted to go off the diving board, so her father encouraged her. So she walked over, got in line, and, you know, everybody's kind of giggling, seeing this little eight-year-old, and she climbs up the ladder eventually and walks out the end of the diving board. You've probably been there. As I heard this illustration, I flash back to my experience. 
and she's on the high dive, and she gets to the end, and she looks over, and then she goes, it's, it's a lot higher than I thought in her mind, and she just can't do it. So she walks back, and she makes all the teenagers get out of the way, and she climbs back down, and she's crying. She comes over to her father, and her father grabs her and hugs her, and they're sitting there in the pool, and after about 15 or 20 minutes, something he said encouraged her to go back and try it again. So this time she goes back. All the teenagers are laughing and giggling now, and she climbs back up the board, and she walks out there, and, and Dad had said, I'm going to be out there to catch you. So she motions to him, hey, you're too far away. You need to, you need to come over a little bit here. So he, he comes over, and she looks, and she goes, no, no, come on over. So he comes over right, right in front of her, and she goes, that's it, that's it. Then he thought she was just going to, you know, jump off the board, and he was going to catch her. Well, she backs up, and she takes a running start. <laughs> she launches off that board, and they almost both die. Lifeguards are like blowing whistles and getting them off, you know, getting them out of the way and, you know, jumping in. But think about that for a moment. Isn't that how we live our life in many ways? I mean, think about what happened. The, the, the diving board didn't get higher. It was the same height. But there was something about knowing that the Father was there, allowed her to have faith into the future. Do you have that? Are you able to launch into his arms knowing that his promise says, I will never leave you, no matter if it's cancer, no matter if your child's not coming home, no matter if your finances have gone completely under that he does love you no matter if you've lost your job because of your failure morally and you've repented, but now you're afraid of the future. I don't know, beloved, what's going on in your life, but I know there are things that are going on in people's lives, and we want to hold back. But Jesus told those disciples, and he told Moses, I mean Joshua, the same thing. Allow me to take that confusion and clear it up if you'll put your trust in Christ the person. You know, that's, that's what Joshua means. This Joshua was a great leader, but he was a fallible leader. He was a broken leader. Another leader came, another Joshua came, who said, Place all of your worries and fears and anxieties on me and I will take that burden and will free you up to live boldly for the king. Cornerstone, that's what you need to do and that's what you are doing because you're impacting this community. It was a joy to talk with your shepherd, to see and hear what God is doing. And I only encourage you to keep on doing it. Let us renew our hearts now as we come to his table.
Let us place our faith in that shepherd who will renew our spirits. Amen. God keeps his promises to us, and even when there's much work to be done, and let's sing as we face a task that's unfinished of, of God's work in and through us. Please stand and sing.
please be seated.